been talking about. And so uh, let's pick up our Bibles in Joshua chapter 6. This is where we left off last week. We're going to pick up where we left off. Joshua chapter 6 says, Now Jericho. Remember last week, that's where we stopped. So today we're picking up there. Now Jericho was straightly shut up because of the children of Israel. None went out and none came in. Verse 2, And the Lord said unto Joshua, See, I have given into thine hand Jericho and the king thereof and the mighty men of valor. In Jesus' name, I want to preach to you this message today. Joshua and the other battle of Jericho. Joshua and the other battle of Jericho. You may be seated. Lord bless you. Quick recap of the journey we've been taking in the last few weeks with our our sermons, our messages. We've been following through the life and the journey of the people of God in the Old Testament. First under Israel and now under Joshua. A couple of weeks ago, if you recall, we talked about Moses' journey from the palace where he grew up. And then we find him in the backside of a desert. In Moses' story, we see him encounter the voice of God in a burning bush that was not consumed. We see in that text that he is commanded to take off his shoes, his past, his identity. We see him receive his calling at the burning bush to lead Israel out of Egypt and to go before Pharaoh and say, let my people go. Miracle after miracle after miracle, Moses would be the man of God anointed and God would use him to bring the people out of bondage. Amen. In fact, not just out of bondage, but out of victim mentality. There was victim mentality on the people of God in Egypt. And so Moses had to bring them not only physically and geographically out of Egypt, he had to bring them mentally and spiritually out of Egypt. Huh. It's true. And, and can I pause right here to say, sometimes getting out of the world is more than just coming to church. Amen. We can come out of the world, but we got to get the world out of us. And that's a journey sometimes. And that's what Moses had to do. He had gotten them physically out of Egypt, but it took him a long time to get Egypt out of the people. And so he had to get that Egypt victim mentality out of them and get them believing and trusting in God again. And that was no small task. And then we see the passing of the mantle from Moses to Joshua. Moses' life comes to an end and we see Joshua pick up the mantle and he is anointed by God to lead. Last week we talked about Joshua and we saw uh, three things that the people of God did unto Joshua. We saw the people of God get a new relationship with their leader. We saw the people of God get connected with their leader and we saw them enter into an exalting relationship. The Bible said, we, we read last week, that God exalted Joshua in the midst of the people. 
Joshua is a beautiful type and shadow of Jesus Christ. And can I say again and echo the words I just said a few moments ago, in order for us to move forward in our journey, we've got to be an exalting church. We've got to lift up the name of Jesus or it doesn't work. Programs do not work. Programs alone, and I'm not against programs, I'm not against structure. Uh, I think you've seen a little bit of that. I actually like, I gravitate to a little bit of structure. I think it's, it's effective in a group. And so, I believe in programs, I believe in ministry, I believe in structure. But programs and ministry and structure alone is not enough. There's got to be a spirit of exalting. And so more than any program we could ever dream up or any structure we could ever come up with, if we don't have the Spirit of God in our midst to lift up and worship, we've just got a program. And so we are moving forward in God and we are going to be a worshiping church. Last week uh, we saw that Joshua was about to lead the people of Israel out of the wilderness, into the promised land. And we stopped last week at Joshua 6 and 1 at the words, Now Jericho. They're about to cross over and take over another city within the promised land. Jericho was the next city that God would give them into their hands within the promised land. And... Joshua and the people of God have already gotten a reputation of taking whatever city they come upon. And the stories have gotten out very quickly. If Israel's coming for us, we don't stand a chance. And so we get to Jericho chapter 1 and the Bible says, Now Jericho was shut up against the people of God, against Israel. They were shut up. What that means is they had closed up the gates and they had basically shut all commerce down. There was no coming or going in the city. They were in war mode. They had completely shut up against Israel because they had heard Israel was coming for them. They were on high alert. Can I ask you today, has God ever given you a promise, but it was shut up against you? It, it was all closed up, it was all in defense mode, and God had given you a word, but yet the word He gave you doesn't match what you're seeing, because the promise and the victory seems shut up. I told you a few weeks ago that God has a miracle for every one of us. But God will give us the miracle in seed form to see what we will do with it. And let me apply it to today's terminology. God will give you the city, but oftentimes the city of victory that He has for you, the promised land that He has for you, probably will be handed to you in a shut-up form. To see what we will do with it. To see how we will handle it. To see if we will capture uh, the vision that God has for us. And so, I'm with anybody else that would prefer God to just hand us the finished product. I prefer that. I prefer the gates to be open. I prefer the palm leaves to be waving as Israel comes in and takes over the city. And yet, that's not what we see happen. The promise is given to Joshua, but verse 1 says, and the city was shut up against him. Many times 
it is just that reality that God gives us promises, but it doesn't look anything like the promise. It's not uncommon for God's people to face circumstances that are insurmountable. It's not uncommon to fight battles that look unwinnable. It's not unusual to find the people of God in overwhelming situations. It's not outside the norm for the people of God to have the odds so stacked against you that even you wonder, how are you going to do it, God? You ever been there? Got a promise, got a vision, but the reality doesn't match at all what you, what you see in your head and what you receive in your spirit. And so Joshua has now been made the leader over Israel. He's been anointed uh, the next prophet to lead the children of Israel out of the wilderness into their promised land. And they get to Jericho and it's shut up against him. Now, before we too quickly uh, you know, promote Joshua to this elite status of somehow above human emotion and above questions and above doubt and above insecurities. Can I break that down for just a moment? Joshua was as human as you are and me. He was just as human. And he's seeing this city that he gets to. God has promised them to come out of the wilderness and into the promised land. God has given him this and it's shut up against him. If I'm the new leader, I'm going to do several things because I'm just human. So I can only imagine that possibly Joshua fought some of these same thoughts and feelings. He's no doubt feeling, first of all, that he's got big shoes to fill. He's following Moses. Moses with a stick. And yet he can part waters. But Joshua gets here day one. I'll go one step further. Minute one. And the gates are shut up against him. Good going, Josh. Moses probably would have already had us dining and having parties by now, Josh. Right? He was as human as we are. And so no doubt he's feeling like there are big shoes to fill right here. What training have I had for this? He might have thought. Why me? After all, the people were more connected to Moses than, than me. Will they even follow me? There are even some scriptural indicators that he was feeling insecure at the beginning because I read in the first few chapters of Joshua that he probably was feeling very inadequate in this new position because in chapter 1 alone, if you read the entire chapter, Moses has now died and Joshua is anointed the next prophet and in the first chapter alone of Joshua, no less than six times Joshua would mention Moses six times in one chapter but Moses did this but Moses did that but Moses and if we're not careful we're so busy remembering who did it better than we could ever do who did it their way and how could we ever be and how could we ever and if we're not careful I mentioned it last week we start living in the past because we're creatures we want to see it before we do it 
And the only thing I can see is my past. And I believe God has a paradigm shift for the entire kingdom of God. That it's time to start seeing in the future. Not just where we've been. Seeing what can be, not just what's always been. And so Joshua steps on the scene and he's as human as I am and you are. And in his humanity, all he can see right now is how Moses did it. Because he's human. And I'm not here to pick on Joshua. He's human. And so are we. And so here he is. Moses this, Moses that, Moses everything. Moses, where are you? I need help. Day one and the first job. That that funny saying that's out there. You had one job. You had one job. God gives Joshua one job. And it's all shut up against him. Where's Moses? You ever been there? Where the task that God's given you is bigger than you? Where the situation that he's laid at your at your feet is above your pay grade and it's beyond your scope of understanding well guess what you're in great company and if I could go back in time I'd love to whisper in Joshua's ear you're in great company because God's going to do to do to many others what he's doing to you right now and he's going to put you in a position where you have to be you and be used of God You can't be Moses, Joshua. And you can't do what God did through Moses because Moses is Moses. You're Joshua. And God wants to do through Joshua what only Joshua will let him do. Can I help somebody today? Stop trying to be somebody else. Let God be God in your life. You don't have to do it like everybody else. Let God, move through your life. Oh, I want to speak to the Joshua in the room that's feeling insecure. I want to speak to the spirit of Joshua that all you can see is how others have done it so much better than you. You know what? It's not about who can do what better. It's about what will you let God do through you. Huh? Through you. And that's what makes it a miracle story. Letting God move through you. Abraham didn't have miracles for dummies book. When God said, take your miracle son up to the top of the mountain. Hmm. Daniel didn't have a book to go to when he steps into a lion's den only for praying like he had always done. The the three Hebrew children didn't have masses of people around them to cheer them on. In fact, the masses were practically saying, throw them in the fiery furnace. The three Hebrew children stood alone that day All for not bowing. David is a shepherd boy in Scripture. The day that he is more brave than all of Saul's army. He didn't have anybody else cheering him on. In fact, his own brothers were saying, What are you doing here? 
and all he can come up with. <laughs> I love that. <clears throat> I love that I don't hear anybody else say this. He's got everybody against him. Nobody believes in him. In fact, even Saul tries to dress him up as somebody he's not, right? Tries to put this big armor on him. And, and I don't hear anybody else talk the way David talks. But something got in David that day. And he didn't wait for everybody to cheer him on and cue his words. And hey, what's my next line? Because uh, th- you know, th- thousands of generations are going to read this story. I want to get my lines right. What do I say right here? He didn't look to anybody like, i got to get this right because a lot of people are going to watch throughout history. He didn't know that was happening. No, David is just himself. And he turns to the same brothers that says, why are you here? And he says, is there not a cause? You big dummy. I'd like to think he kind of probably thought that. Like, you're the one in the suit of armor. And I'm the one walking out it. Hello. I'm going with a sling. David didn't have a script. He didn't have a book. He had no one to tell him, this is what you do, David, when nobody else will fight the giant. David somewhere got alone with God and he let his God become so powerful that it was more powerful than any voice that would try to shout at him. Any voice that would try to undermine him. He got alone with his God and he heard the voice of God and he was able to hear his own uh, uh, relationship with God speak into his life and he steps out onto the battlefield. And he kills the giant. Gideon has a mighty army of thousands and yet God tells him to send them all home except for 300. What? What? I want to preach to you today about fighting the other battle of Jericho. In each of these amazing stories in the Bible, there is the battle that we read on the pages There's the battle that history books would record. But I want to submit to our hearing today that there was another battle that each one of those fought. And that battle is just as real as the one we read about on the pages, if not even more real. The battle that takes place first is in the mind and in the heart. Hear me, church, today. Before you ever roll up your sleeves and you fight out in public, there'll be a private battle that you've got to fight. There'll be a secret battle that has to be won. Before God ever uses us publicly, there's got to be a private battle that has to be fought. That's why God allows us to go through some things. Why does God allow tests and trials to come? Because He's wanting you to find the warrior inside of you. He's wanting you to find how it is to fight. I'm sorry that some of you have got to go through what you've been through. Or maybe what you're going through right now. But stop looking at it like poor me and I don't deserve this and everybody else has got it easier. First of all, you don't know everybody else's story. Second of all, God knows what He's doing in your life and He knows what you need to fight for and what you need to find in your own life and how you need to birth the warrior inside of you. And sometimes that only happens through tests and trials. The secret battle. I'm talking about the other battle of Jericho. And, and I want to tell you, we don't win the public battle unless we win the private battle. Huh. I want to preach 
fighting the other battle of Jericho. And three things have to happen, and they're in our text today, in order to win the other battle. The real battle outside starts with the private secret battle. Number one, I see hear it first. You've got to hear it. Notice in verse 2, the Bible says, And the Lord said unto Joshua. The Lord said unto Joshua. The most important thing we need to start with is to get alone with God and hear His voice. We've got to get alone with God and get a word from Him. And sometimes that word will even come in a setting like this where the corporate word is going out to the whole body. But God knows where you are and He's sending you a word through the message, through the preached word today. Can I stop right here and say, don't ever minimize the service and think, oh, it's just another Sunday service. God may have a word for you in that service of what you've been praying for, what you've been thinking about, what you've been battling throughout the week. And God will, even if ignorantly on my part because I'm just human, but God will drop a thought in my heart separate from what you're going through and I'll study it through that week and then Sunday get to the pulpit and I'll read somebody's mail not because I knew where they were but the Holy Ghost knew and He used the preached Word to minister to somebody. That doesn't make anybody great in here. It just That's us, the foolishness of preaching. We're ignorant to what God does. But you know what? God, if you can get glory and use any vessel in this place and use a spoken word to somebody's heart, then let Him do it. And and I want to say also, not only do we fight things privately and we shouldn't minimize the, the service when we come in here, but we also need to come in ready to receive the Word. Hear it. And Joshua heard the voice of the Lord. God spoke to Joshua. It's one thing to come into the house and be here. It's another thing to join your spirit up to what's happening in the service. It's one thing to come to church. It's another thing to open your heart and your ears and your spirit to what thus saith the word of the Lord. Amen. In fact, I'll go one step further. I know it's easy to think, oh, I'm so glad so-and-so's here today. This message is for them. They needed it, especially when I get on to somebody. You know, I get on something. Oh, I'm glad they were here. They needed that. And if we're not careful, we relegate every sermon for everybody else. Where's your sermon? Maybe I'm preaching your sermon today. Maybe I preached some other sermons that were for you, but we handed it off to somebody else. Amen. How about we stop being thankful that everybody else is here and we start saying, God, what would you speak to me today? My ears are open. My heart is open. My mind is open. I'm ready to hear what thus saith the word of the Lord. Even if it doesn't feel good to the flesh, I want a word from God. I wonder if there's a church here today that is desperate and hungry for a word from God that we need to hear today. Huh. And let me, let me just caution you. You can be in the room and not hear it. 
Revelations 2 and 17 says, He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit would say. That means you can have ears and not hear. How many know we need a fresh word from the Lord? Every time we come in this place, we ought to receive a word. Let the preached word preach to you. Amen. Every sermon's not for somebody else. Well, that's about the response I thought I'd get. We ought to come in and say, every service is for me. I'm going to get something out of today. I'm going to give something today. I'm going to connect with the service today. Every prayer, every service, every sermon, there ought to be something that we get out of it. It's not just for somebody else. There should be a spiritual transaction in the room every time we come in this place. Hello. Acts 3 and 3. There was an expectation in the lame man. I mentioned it recently. Now Peter and John went up together in the temple, uh, into the temple at the ninth hour of prayer. Or at the hour of prayer, rather. Being the ninth hour. And he gave heed unto them, verse 5, expecting to receive something. That's such a powerful phrase. We get what we expect. When you come in prepared, ready, you've made up your mind, I'm going to get something today. Guess what? You're going to get something today. Even if it's a youth getting up here speaking, if your heart's ready to receive, if they speak the Word of God, it doesn't have to be a conference preacher or even this pastor or somebody else. It can be a youth getting up and just sharing their heart and they speak the Word and somebody will go out of here and say, oh, that was the Word I needed today. I needed that Word. Listen, let's make it less about the personality up here. And let's start making it about the Word of God. And let the Word of God speak to us. Why? Because we need a word from the Lord. Yes, we do. And the lame man expected it. And he got what he expected. We need to bring a ready worship into the house of the Lord. We need to bring a ready praise and a ready response into the house of the Lord. Every time we come in here. There are no gimmies. Are you watching the news? There are no mulligan services anymore. Israel just signed another piece of paper with the Arab Emirates. Folks, read your Bible. Read your Bible. And I don't care whether you're pre-trib, mid-trib, or post-trib. It makes no difference. We better get ready, stay ready, be ready, worship ready, serve ready, come to church ready, leave the church ready. It's time to be ready. There are no mulligan services anymore. This thing is wrapping up, church. It's wrapping up. It's time to get in. It's time to get all the way in. So we need a word from the Lord. The second thing that I see, you got to see it. You got to see it. If you're going to fight and win the, the other battle of Jericho, you've got to see it. Verse 2 God says to Joshua, See that I have given it into your hands. Wait a second. Verse 1 just said, 
Now Jericho was completely shut up against the people of God. Hey, Joshua, here's what I want you to see. I know it looks like the city is shut up against you, but Joshua, here's what I want you to see. I want you to see that I have given it into your hands. That means while the gates are still up, I need you to see the gates down in your mind. Let you process that for a minute. While it still looks negative, God says, I need you to see it in the positive. But wait, it doesn't look that way. It's not happening that way. I get it. On the outside, the battle hadn't even been fought yet. The walls are not come down yet. Nothing has happened yet. Long before they marched around six times in six days and then seven times on the seventh day, long before any of that ever happened, God says, see what I'm going to do. Church, we've got to see with our spirit What God can do. You want to revolutionize your faith? Begin to see what God can do instead of what the devil is doing. The devil is doing a whole lot of things right now. Welcome to 2020. He's busy. The spirit of this world is busy. And so many people are buying into it. So many So many spirits are just lining up to whatever the spirit of this world wants to do. Church, we've got to see past what's happening in the natural and see in the spiritual and see what God can do. You will revolutionize your faith when you begin to see what God can do, not what the devil is doing. Let me break that down for a minute. When I talk to somebody and all they talk about what the devil is doing... You've told me where your eyes are. When all, now, I'm not saying you can't be a realist and talk about what is real. Well, this is what's happening and this is... I'm not talking about that. But when we get into a negative mindset to where we can talk more about what the devil is doing and we struggle to even form the words of what God could do. So the flip side of that coin is we're negative when we talk about what the devil is doing. You get positive when you start talking about what God can do. You show me somebody who can see what God can do and I'll show you a worshiper. I'll show you somebody that knows how to believe and see beyond the natural and what is happening into what God could do. That's a worshiper. He says, see that I have given it unto you. See, we limit God when we don't let ourselves see more than what is actually happening. Psalms 135 and 17, having eyes to see, we still see not. But when we can see past our human limitations, I believe that's where Ephesians 3 and 20 can kick in. That He is able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we could ask or think. In spite of what's happening and going on in the present, God can do exceeding. Woo! And God uses the eye here to parallel the spirit. And just as we use our eyes to see where we walk, your feet follow your eyes. When I walk, and especially when I've got to navigate things, I'll watch where I need to step and my feet will just follow because my feet follow where I'm looking. Be careful what you look at all the time because your feet are going to follow. Well, pastor, I'm just struggling. I can tell you what's wrong. Got your eyes on the wrong thing. 
Well, pastor, I'm just struggling in my faith right now. I can tell you what's wrong. You got your eyes on your wrong thing. I'm not condemning anybody. I'm just saying that's the byproduct of looking at the wrong things. You will be an overcomer when you look at the right things. When you put your eyes on Jesus Christ, not looking to the left or the right, but unto Jesus Christ, the author and the finisher of our faith. When you put your eyes on Him, you will be an overcomer. And your praise and your worship and your words will not match your situation. Have you ever run into somebody who's just always glass half full? Smart Alex. We think, how are they just so happy all the time? Listen, it ain't because they got more victory than you. It ain't because they have less trials than you. It's because they've got their eyes on something bigger than what they're going through. And they just believe that if God will do, come in and do what only He can do, what He is famous for, if we'll let Him do it, amen, God will work a miracle in our lives. So I choose to see Him instead of what I'm going through. So you got to... Hear the voice of God and you've got to see it, our text said. There are four things that happen that I want to give you in practical terms that when we see things different, they will change in our lives. When you see God instead of what's going on around you, you'll change your circle of friends. When you put your eyes on the right thing, your circle of friends will change because you ain't got time for some of that garbage. Now, I will caution everybody. I don't believe we ought to go around just writing people off. But I will say this, and I'm going to speak as your pastor right now. There are some people in our lives you need to limit. I'm not saying write them off. I'm not saying act ugly to anybody. You need to be friendly to everybody. But there are some people, because of the toxicity, am I preaching to anybody right now, in your circle of friends, you need to limit toxicity in your life. You need to limit negativity in your life. And when you put your eyes on God, you cannot look at the miracles and the victory that God has for you and then walk in the muck and the mire of negativity all week long and then walk into service and, oh, I've got the victory. No, you get the victory in private. You don't just get the victory here. Too many people have set church up to be the cure-all of everything. You know what? I believe church ought to be the celebration of what God did throughout the week, not the other way around. I don't come to church to get saved. Now, I I believe there are sinners that will come, and they've come here, and that's a God-appointed time. But once you start living for God, stop looking at church as your cure-all. If I can just get back to church, then I'll come out of my sin. No, you need to come out of your sin in private. You need to find your God, hear a word from Him, see the vision that He has for you, and let Him bring that victory into your life in private. That's why I say you're never going to hear a worship set or a sermon that's going to tickle your ears enough for, to, for you to you know, bounce out of your seat and get the victory. That's not where you get your victory. You get your victory by hearing and seeing God instead of the enemy. So while the walls are shut up, he says, Joshua, see that I've given it to you. When you see God instead of the enemy or the circumstances, you'll change your your circle of friends. The second thing that you'll see when you see God, you'll see a change in how you spend your money. 
Thank you. One yeah, and I'll take that as an amen. Yeah, you will change your spending when you put your eyes on God. Boy, y'all quiet today. And you were quiet before I ever brought up money. When you get your, your eyes on God, you'll change your attitude. I talked about it a second ago. Negative people will sap you. They will drain you. And stop getting caught in negative conversations. Maybe that's something you need to change. Change your wording. Change your mindset. Don't get into conversations that are negative. By the way, I'll just go one step further and get out my meddling stick. If somebody comes to you and wants to talk about somebody else in the church, or wants to talk about the church, or wants to talk about the pastor, hello, you need to shut it down. And that's not the pastor saying he does no wrong or doesn't do anything that's, you know, couldn't be, you know, criticized. That's not what I'm saying. I'm not above anything, but I'm saying we ought to be above certain actions. There's a way to handle things and a way not to handle things. And when the spirit of division comes in a church, it will come through negativity. Be careful what you're partnering yourself with and what you're aligning yourself with. Even within the body of Christ, there may be some people that be friendly, love on them, hug their neck, shake their hand when we get back to doing that, right? Do all those things, be friendly with the body of Christ, but there needs to be a limitation to negativity in your life. Man, I'm preaching good today. I just needed to hear that. (laughs) listen if you see the right thing in your life it won't matter what's against you all hell can come against you but you and God make the majority if God be for us who can be against us we got to get our eyes on the right thing It'll change your circle of friends. It'll change how you spend your money. And it'll change your attitude. The fourth thing, and I'll quit meddling with this. When you see God more than anything else, it'll change your priorities. It'll change your priorities. Man, you just got to bring that up, right? Our priorities in life. Well, that's where the devil gets an inroad into the church. Our priorities. Because there's too many in the church that know how to talk in tongues. They know how to show up to church, but then they let the devil come in and meddle with their priorities. I'm just going to go ahead and say it. We don't miss church for events. We miss events for church. Amen. James 2 and 18 says that I'll I'll show thee my faith By my works. And then verse 17 before it said, Faith without works is dead. There's a certain level where we've got to show our faith by showing up. And being there at church. There's something to be said about a faithful church. I said it earlier in the service. 
I'm so stinking proud of a youth group that would show up after getting in at nearly midnight last night. And you may have been up later than that because you had to get home and, and get ready for bed. So it was a late night last night. And I'm so thankful we can do youth events. Aren't you thankful for the youth events that we've got available for our kids? But those youth events never replace this teaching that's going on right now. I'm glad for Six Flags and I'm glad you got more energy than, than I do to do, to take the kids to Six Flags. But youth, you hear me. This preaching that's going on right now, this will take you to heaven. Six Flags won't. We can enjoy Six Flags in the meantime, but preaching and getting to church and being faithful to the house of God, hearing a word from God and putting our eyes on Him and putting Him first, that's what will save your soul. So we'll add as much as we can, but it's never going to replace this. And so, young people, I'll go one step further. You need to be in the altars when the altars are open. You need to be in the presence of God when it's here and, and, and we're making a push to get into the presence of God. Amen. Let your faith be shown by your actions. Don't just say, oh, I have faith. Show it. That's what the Bible says. Don't get mad at me. The Bible says, I'll show you my faith by my works. Because faith without works is a bunch of hooey. I paraphrased. He says it's dead. It's hollow words. You can talk anything you want, but the proof is in your actions. And I, I tend to listen to people that show up. Uh, I receive that word from people that show up. I'm amazed at how opinionated uh, some folk are that are never around. Amen. But we'll, we'll perish for a lack of vision. We can have words, but without a vision and seeing God and putting our eyes on, we'll perish without that. We walk around with all the answers, all the words we can conjure up, but without a vision from God, we're going to perish. So we can talk till we're blue in the face. You know what we need more than anything? We need a vision. We need a Holy Ghost vision to just saturate us. And I guarantee it'll change how we talk. It'll change how we walk. It'll change how we spend. It'll change the people we hang around with. When we get a vision from God, everything changes. Hallelujah. And the third thing. First thing was what? Anybody remember? First thing was what? Hear it. Second thing was, see it. You were listening. Go you. Third thing was what? I hadn't given it yet. Good job. It was a trick question, just making sure you're awake. The third thing was, say it. Say it. Joshua 6 and 3. And ye shall compass the city, all ye men of war, and go round about the city once. And thou shalt do six days. Verse 10, and Joshua had commanded the people saying, you shall not shout nor make any noise with your voice. They were commanded to be quiet. Neither shall any word proceed out of your mouth until the day I bid you to shout. Then shall you shout. In verse 20, so the people shouted 
when the priests blew with the trumpets and it came to pass, and when the people heard the sound of the trumpet and the people shouted with a great shout, that the wall fell down flat so that the people went into the city, every man straight before him, and they took the city. And here's what I want to leave you with today. After we hear a word from God and we begin to get our eyes on the right things, you'll begin to speak the right things. Once you get a word from God and you begin to see Him differently, you'll begin to speak differently. In fact, there'll be some times you want to speak and because you got your eyes on the right thing, you're going to say, that ain't worth my time. He said, thou shalt not speak until I tell you to. There is a time that we should speak and not speak. When we see the right thing in our lives and we hear that word from God, there'll be times where I can't get into that right now because God hadn't released me to say anything. You don't have to respond to every gnat that flies in front of your face. We wear ourselves down fighting gnats, I'm convinced. We wear ourselves weary by fighting little battles all the time. I wonder if there's not the secret of our success and our victory waiting when we learn to stop fighting every little battle that comes to our doorstep. You know what the enemy is doing to this generation? He is saturating us with more media than we've ever seen and we think we have to respond to everything. Hello, Facebook. We think we've got to have a conversation about everything. Don't get me wrong, I'm as human as you are. I got as many opinions as you do. Great surprise there, right? They're like, yeah, every Sunday we hear it. We know your opinions. Listen, we all have opinions, right? Sure we do. Some of it's not hardly worth it though. Amen. Pick your battles. Pick your battles. And I, I fear that we've become an age of technology where we've taken to digital conversations and we say things online we would never say staring in the eyes of the individual. Or if we would say it, we would word it differently. But we've become emboldened. We've become a little bit brash online. When I say we, I just mean the society. I'm not talking to anybody here. I don't see anybody here doing that. And I thank God for that. Thank you, church, for having restraint. Thank you for having a little bit of godly dignity on your life. Don't dignify everything online with a comment. How am I doing now? You still with me? I'm trying to help you because we need the victory. And we've got to see his victory and we got to learn how to say the victory. And how can we speak God things when we're busy all week speaking other things? Right? So then he says, say it. And they shouted. Some things won't come down until you say it. And if we're busy bringing everything down in life, do we really have the power to bring down walls? Some things need to be saved. Some things only come through prayer and fasting. Some things need... You need to save your energy for the real battles. But when you do, something will happen. 
I decided a long time ago, and yes, I'm on social media just like everybody else, but I choose not to live on social media. My life, that is not my life. I'm connected to it. I can go to it and peek in the window every once in a while, and usually I shut it really quick, right? And we walk away. Uh, I think, I fear some people are living their life through that window, and their real life is through digital instead of in, in real life. I, I'm concerned about that in a, in a real way. But there are power, there is power in our words. That's why I don't want, and, and don't, I'm not preaching against social media. There are many wonderful things I see on there, great posts, great quality things. The problem is some people don't know when to stop and they let the dark side come out, right? Uh, they let the ugly come out. And that's what I'm concerned with. Pick your words is what I'm trying to say. Even Joshua, in so many words, God said, I need you to restrain yourself for six days. Could you restrain yourself with some things in your life? God says, I'm going to need you to shout when the time comes because there's a great victory coming and I need you to find your spiritual voice that has victory and power and authority. Don't use your anointing on little piddly stuff. Oh, I hope I'm helping somebody today. And I'm not saying you can't be on uh, uh, Facebook or social media. That's, I'm not that guy. I'm not preaching against social media. I am saying that we need to be careful what we use our anointing for and what we align ourselves with. Even God said, there's a time not to speak. And I'm calling the people of God to stop speaking for six days. That's what God says to the people of God here. I'm not calling a fast on, on social media to not speak. I do think every once in a while we do need a fast on that. This would be a great time to call that type of fast. And that's basically what God said. And I believe here's why. Because God is the author of the spoken word and the power that's in it. It was God that spoke all things into existence by the spoken word. Right? So he knows the power of the word. Even the Bible would teach us there is power. Romans 4 and 17, we are to call those things which are not as though they were. That's the power of our words. Proverbs 18 and 21 says, <coughs> excuse me, <clears throat> there is power of life and death in the tongue. Proverbs 18 and 21. Even Jesus would say in Mark 11, Whosoever shall say unto this mountain, Be thou removed and cast into the sea, and not doubt in your heart, but shall believe those things which he saith shall come to pass, and he shall have whatsoever he saith. There is power in your words, but not if we are using our words up for everything else. Worship. Worship is how we reserve our words for holy things. Worship. Worship is the way we speak to things that are not as though they were. Worship and prayer is how we speak in the Spirit. When we can't seem to find the words, we move in through the Spirit and we begin to say words. Words are important. If, I don't, if you don't hear me say anything else today, your words are so important. And we're spending too much time talking about everything else except for the Word of God, the spoken Word of God, what He would speak into us. We're, 
we're talking about everything else except the vision of God. Boy, we can talk about the walls. They're shut up. And I'm human too. I see the walls when they're shut up. I feel that too. We're all human. So I won't take that away from anybody. But what do we spend time talking about? In order to win the battles in your life against your own flesh, you need to hear from God first. You need to see what God has for you in the Spirit before it ever changes. And lastly, you need to speak with authority and claim it. Let's stand to our feet today, would you? Long before we would see the knife raised in the air from Abraham, he had to fight the other battle in his heart. And he carried the fire and the wood up the mountain to build the altar and sacrifice Isaac. Long before he would face the literal den of lions that night, Daniel had to fight a secret battle and decide whether he would continue to pray three times a day. Long before the shepherd boy ever stepped in public out onto a battlefield to fight a real giant, David had to fight his secret giant and find a cause when no one else was around. Long before Gideon would ever win the battle with just 300 men, he had to stand in front of thousands of men and say, I will obey God instead of my flesh right now. I'm talking about the other battle of Jericho. Not just the one where the walls come down in front of our eyes. I'm talking about the battle where we see it first. Where we hear from God in private first. The battle where we say things before it happens. When God tells us to. Church, I'm talking about the other battle of Jericho today. And I believe... That if we will find God in the private battles first, God is going to give us the public battles. He's going to give us the public victory in Jesus' name. So this message today is for anybody in the room that is dealing with a private battle. I'm not necessarily even talking about a secret sin. It could be that, certainly. But I'm just talking about the battles we face. The insecurities we all have. And we all try to deal with. Are you feeding them? Or are you minimizing them? Are you looking at the problems? Or do you have your eyes on God? Does your worship say your eyes are on the problem? Or does your worship say, my God can do anything? And so today, I want to open up this room for every person that needs to win the private battle first. And say, God, I'm going to hear from you. I'm going to get a word from you. God, I'm going to start seeing you instead of the problems. I've been seeing the problems far too long. I need to start seeing you. Give me a vision of you. And I'm going to begin to speak you. I'm going to begin to say you. I'm going to begin to utter you instead of putting words around my doubt and my fears 
my complaints, my problems. Oh, we all have them. We all have them. We all have the trials. But what do we put our words towards? What do we choose to focus on? Church, there is a battle of Jericho. There are walls that need to come down. But I submit before the outward walls come down, the inward walls need to come down. Heads bowed all across this place. Lord, we're in your presence today. And God, you spoke to my heart this week. You told me that there would be people in the house that need to deal with some secret inward battles. Lord, I've obeyed you the best way I know how. I'm sorry if it wasn't good enough. Lord, I don't apologize for following you though. I don't, I don't regret obeying your word. And Lord, we speak with authority to every battle that is being waged in our hearts today. I speak to every heart that is wanting to overcome and move forward. I'm speaking to the hearts that somehow life is holding them back. And circumstances seem to be holding them back. I'm speaking to every mind that seems to be distracted by the details of the trial instead of the God of the victory. And I lose faith in this house. I lose faith in this house. God, that we would be able to respond in your presence and receive strength in this house. God, I lose faith. I lose encouragement in this house that there will be victory, but it's got to start in our hearts before it starts out in public outside of us. Church, I'm opening these altars today, not for sinners, not for people who have secret sins, or it's not the direction we're going today. And if you have those, those you lay them down at the altar when you come. But that's not this push. This is for people who want to move forward in God. And if you have something that needs to be laid down, then yes, lay it down. Don't, don't take anything back with you. Don't, don't carry anything that is not ordained for you to carry. And so if you need to lay something down at the altar, lay it. But I'm opening these altars. As we begin to move into worship, whatever we have today, I'm opening these altars to come and find a place to stand Socially distanced, but find a place to come and be in the presence of God and deal with the inner victory that you need. Deal with the inner battle that you're fighting and say, God, I need your help. That's all you've got to do. God, I need your help and let him help you.